those of you who are here back for the first time in 30 years, don't wait 30 more to come back to church, okay? Y'all need to show up. I have to start out in this place. My very first sermon here, I said, if you taught in the Hattiesburg Public School System before 1987, I'm sorry. I had to start there just with an apology and admission. I didn't know Jesus when I was in high school. Friday night at the reunion and Sunday morning here has not been unlike one another because a moment ago we sang I was lost in utter darkness until you came and rescued me and while we were walking the halls of Hattiesburg High and growing up and figuring out life I was lost my freshman year at the University of Southern Mississippi I came to the darkest point of my life and attempted to take my own life but in the midst of all of it God was faithful you know the one thing that I learned and I'm speaking just for a moment to my classmates if you'll allow me to do that church family they're only here once every 30 years so I guess I can speak to them <laughs> is this one of the deepest lessons that I learned at Hattiesburg High was that you don't have to be alone to be lonely there were the the times that we were in the midst of a big celebration as we the Tigers had won a, a big football game and we were celebrating some victory together and in a crowded room full of people I felt empty some of you have felt that emptiness only Jesus Christ can fill the emptiness of the soul it's a God-shaped hole and he is perfectly fitted for that space if you don't know him today trust him now I, I want to move forward into my sermon the catalyst for my sermon today you say what in the world are you preaching things real men know the catalyst for my sermon came from a conversation that a man was having with his eight-year-old granddaughter and in fact it's not just a fictitious man it's not a parable his name is Joe Joe McKeever was a longtime pastor in New Orleans he was a, a friend and I got to meet him while I was at New Orleans seminary and spend time with him and he was having a conversation with his eight-year-old granddaughter Abby and in this conversation Abby began to tell her grandpa this she said mom's been telling me about childbirth and he said oh really and she said I am never having babies grandpa and she he said well why not she said because it hurts too bad and he said in his mind one of the things that he wanted to say to her was you know if your mom had had that attitude then you wouldn't be here but, but he didn't say that. He said, I paused and simply said very lovingly to little Abby, you know, the pain goes away, but all of what is left is this beautiful child that you have as a gift from God, and you get to raise that child, and you get to love that child for the rest of that child's days. And Abby looked at him squarely in the eye and said, hmm, you're a man. What do you know? <laughs> Maybe there's some truth there. I don't know. Look out. That wasn't a place for an amen. Do we need to pray again? That conversation just spilled over into my mind and said, what do real men really know? And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning from the Word of God about what a real man needs to know, what a real man actually does know, because he's not a real man until he knows these things. And there's application for all of us. It draws across the way. Uh, for those of you that are with us for the first time in a while or never before, we're in the middle of a series called Faith Begins at Home, and we've drawn out application for everyone, even when I'm preaching on grandparenting or on parenting. You may be a, a single adult. You may have never married or you 
you may not have children, but there is application for you here this morning, even as I preach toward the men of our church. And I don't know that there's a greater need in our society than for strong, godly men. I pray that if you are married or if you are a son or a daughter that you would pray for your dad or you would pray for your husband, that you would pray that God would raise up in him a hunger and a desire to be a warrior for truth and and for gospel presentation and for gospel living and for the Lord Jesus Christ because our day and age is is wandering. I've used the analogy that we have come loose from our moorings and we're at drift at sea and we need an anchor that holds. We need men who would rise up and live out truth regardless of their age. I want to give you a quote or two before we start just to think about this idea of manhood. The first one came from Seneca and it very simply says this, If a man knows not what harbor he seeks, any wind is the right wind. Just because there's movement doesn't mean we're headed in the right direction. Amen? Let me give you another one. Wives don't need a good provider. They need a godly man who will help them trust in the provider. That's a good word today. Let me give you another one. This comes from the lips of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. And I love this. Right from Scripture. Act like men. The world needs a visible demonstration of true manhood. And it's not about what you do in the gymnasium. It's not about building your biceps. It's not about building your bank account. It's about building your character and your heart. Act like men. Be strong. And we know that from Scripture that's to be strong in the Lord. Well, let's move forward as we think about this idea of what real men know. It's important for us to look together. I want to invite you to Scripture in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 6. Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And turn there and hold your place there. We'll come to it in, in momentarily. But I, I want us to think about this issue. By the way, let me give you, I, I did have one more quote. If you want to know if I'm a godly man, follow me home. You see, it's one thing to spit shine and look pretty and look nice and look good here. It's one thing to dress up and be all slicked up and to know the language of Zion. It's one thing to speak Christianese when you're around other brothers and sisters. You can smile all you want to here, but if I want to know you're a godly man, I'll just follow you home. Any confession in this place, I tell you, we've had some good, loud conversations on the way to church. It seems the devil works best at that time. We'll have a loud conversation. We get in the parking lot, ring the bell, ding, ding, round one is over. We smile and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, how are you doing? We get back in the car, ding, ding, it's on. And here we go again. If we're going to ask the question, what should real men know, I think we need to define real manhood. So first, is real manhood defined? Let's talk about it for a minute. What is a real man? Robert Lewis, who is the founder and president of Men's Fraternity, several years ago, gave a definition. I want to read it, and then I want us to pick apart the the components, if you will. I want to dissect it a little bit. Let me just read this to you, and then we'll put it on the screen. A real man is one who accepts responsibility rejects passivity, leads courageously, and expects God's greater reward. Let's put that on the screen, and we'll look at these one at a time. I want you to see that a real man is one who accepts 
responsibility. A real man is one who accepts responsibility. That means that he takes ownership for his life. In this society of blame shifting in the blame game, a man who will stand up and own his issues, he'll own his problems, he'll own his faults, he'll say, that was on me. A man who's not scared to apologize for wrongs that he has done is a man well on his way toward real manhood as God designed it. You see, we won't be perfect as men. We won't be perfect as fathers, but we need to accept responsibility for the wrongs that we have done. I was so grateful this week, this is a side note, but the Southern Baptist Convention met this week in Phoenix, Arizona, and unanimously they... uh, put together a resolution and they passed it and that resolution was condemning racism in all of its forms as evil and I was so grateful to say we have got to be a people who will stand against evil and stand for truth we'll accept responsibility in our lives we have to but, but it's not just about accepting responsibility. You say, I know a lot of men that, men that know nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. They know nothing about godliness, and yet they have accepted responsibility, maybe for making a living for their family. Well, that's why the whole definition is important. You see, secondly, they reject passivity. They reject passivity. You're well aware of Edmund Burke's statement, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do what? Nothing. You can stand on the sideline and in your heart of hearts say, I am completely and adamantly against something that is wrong, but if you do nothing, then you are part of the problem, not part of the solution. We must reject passivity. That means that we have to stand strong for those things that we do believe in. We accept responsibility, but we reject passivity. I have shared this with you over and over again as a congregation in this past year. Our job is to be soldiers, foot soldiers in the army of Christ in the Pine Belt. Soldiers of love, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news. You say, well, I try to share the good news with my lifestyle. My neighbor sees me smile and wave at him or at her. You can smile and wave at your neighbor and watch them die and go to hell. You see, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Well, words are necessary. People will not come up to the fact that the gospel is the gospel, the good news, without hearing it. They're not going to go off onto a mountain someplace or to a retreat and contemplate life and come to the understanding that the Son of God left heaven and came to earth and lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death in our place so that we might be saved on their own. You see, Christianity is not rooted in philosophy. It's not a feeling or a system or a construct. It's rooted in history. That fact happened. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he's coming again. Are you ready? We cannot be passive. We must share the gospel. And days are drawing near. I believe that. When is Jesus coming back? I have no idea. But it's closer than it's ever been before. We don't live out of fear. We simply accept the responsibility that God has called us to be as witnesses. We reject passivity, and then we lead courageously. A real man is one who leads well. A real man leads himself well. He's disciplined. He leads his family well. He leads at work well. He is an example. He is a pace setter. He is a standard bearer. 
We need some men who would raise the standard these days. We need some men who would rise up and challenge other men to be the very best that they can be. I'll do a little infomercial. Next Sunday evening, we are going to gather together in a marriage class. And I think so far, we may change the name of our church from Hardy Street to Last Minute because we've had two people sign up. Actually, on Friday, I looked at the list and there were three people signed up for our marriage class. And I said, that doesn't make sense that it would be an odd number for the I don't know if it's wishful thinking I don't know if it's somebody that's saying maybe if I go to the this is not Christian mingle okay this is a marriage class you may learn some good principles I'm just saying some of y'all need to sign up today all right reject passivity and sign up for this marriage oneness class that Stephanie and I will be journeying with you through we look forward to that time lead courageously Set a standard, and many of you have. I, I certainly don't ever want to beat you down on a day like today. The, the pattern is usually on Mother's Day. We build mothers up, and we beat dads up for being deadbeats and being sorry and being absent. I want to tell you, I'm so grateful for the men that are in this room and the men that are in my life. Oh, my goodness, Friday night we had some of our teachers and former coaches that were there. And you think of the impact that some of those folks had in shaping our lives because they were willing to stand up for truth. And now as an adult, I've gotten to know some of them and know that they are people of faith, that they trust the Lord and they live for the Lord, and, and it reflects even more in the things that they taught us back then. A real man is one who accepts responsibility, rejects passivity, he leads courageously, and he expects God's greater reward. That simply means that everything that he does is focused on living a godly life. Everything that he does is focused on living his life according to the precepts and the principles of the Word of God. He says, I don't want anything in my life that is contrary to the Word. I don't want anything in my life that is contrary to His way. I don't want anything in my life that is neglected and left out that is instructed for me in this way. Does that make sense? This is audience participation time. Can you truthfully say that you're living your life in the balance of the scales of the Word of God, and you're saying this Word outweighs every other preference, every other pleasure, every other pursuit in my life. Jesus, I want to please you and you alone. Going to a high school reunion reminds me of the statement that says that much of society is kind of like this. We spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to pretend to impress people that we don't like some people still care about what other people think now I love you and I want to dress appropriately and look right and do right but I want to live for an audience of one every day of my life because in the end analysis I won't stand on judgment day before you and you won't stand before me. I'll stand before my heavenly Father, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, I pray. I pray that he would say, I have followed out. I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've done the right things. I've expected the greater reward. Will you folks in typical fashion know that this is just the introduction? We're going to get to my sermon here in a moment. But real manhood defined... It is so important for us to see. Let me give you one more look, and we won't invest a lot of time here, but here's what Robert Lewis is saying to you and me. Ultimately, a, a real man knows who he is, whose he is, why he's here, and how he's to live. 
And we could spend a lot of time, that's a sermon unto itself. If a real man, if a man doesn't know who he is, he'll forever be trying to find out and prove himself a man in unhealthy ways. He knows whose he is. Is he accountable to someone? Is there a standard in his life? Or is he on his own in this world? Listen to these words. I, I so appreciated them. They were written in the 1800s from one of the Bible commentators I read. The man who knows he is a creation of Almighty God and the redeemed of a loving Savior is likely to live a different kind of life from one who doesn't because the Word of God is his standard. If the Word of God is your standard, you'll begin to know your role in life. Is your role in this life, why did God put you here? Is your role to find yourself or to express yourself or to fulfill yourself? Or is there a greater, more noble purpose? Did God create you with an intention that your life in His hands would be used to make a beautiful thing around you? That you would shape the culture around you. You would shape family and friends. You would shape society in a Godward way. That you would be on a quest for joy. That you would find your joy first and foremost and only in Christ. And because your joy is found there, you would move forward very simply, making an impact on everybody around you because they would see the reflection of heaven. We've seen it defined. So let's look together to Scripture and let's look at real manhood displayed. I want to take just these last moments of our time together today from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, And our text today will show us a demonstration, if you will, of what a man is to look like, a godly man. In fact, those words are used here. The Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy, his protege in ministry, his son in the ministry, he writes these words to him, and uh, beginning in verse 11, he will show us a display of godliness. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 11. This is the Word of God. But flee from these things, you man of God, And pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the proper time, you'll see this. Look at verse 15. Which he will bring at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light. Whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Those words should ring out today in our hearts. But you, man of God, act this way. I want us to pray and then I want us to just really drive into this text and draw out some some principle. There's some richness here that we need to see. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to every heart here? Help us to understand clearly what it is that you would have us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Very quickly, four things from this text that I want us to draw out and see. And they come directly from the words of the text. 
Real manhood, authentic manhood is displayed when a man knows what to flee from. What to flee from. He says, you man of God, flee these things. Now, what are we to run away from? Well, if we were to read backwards to what he has just spoken about, he has spoken about error, about wives' tales that are foolish, about folly and error. He's actually immediately preceding these words preached about money. He said, don't be greedy. Don't have the love of money in your life because many have pierced themselves through with great pain because of their hunger for greed, their hunger for stuff. And it's saying a real man knows that stuff is not important. My dad used to say that often in the book of Luke. It says a man's life does not consist of the possessions that he owns. You see, flee from these things. Now, let me focus on that word flee for a moment. It's the word that we would get for, uh, in English, fugitive. It is an active Greek word that's in the present tense. Flee and keep on fleeing. Run, forest, run. I mean, go. Get away from these things. You are continually running away from them. Listen to me, church. This phrase says very simply, you're on the run. You're a fugitive. Your whole life as a man of God, that's how the word is to be used. We're we're running uh, from a plague. One commentator said it's like running from a den of poisonous snakes. And I went, I got that. Yeah, I can do that. I'm running. It is like our office. It is like Mary Laura Boyette when she sees a spider in our office. It is like Wes Dykes when he sees a donut in the fellowship hall. Oh, wait, that's coming next. That's not flee from. That's run to. Flee. Run from those things. Can I just tell you, in my 30 years post-high school, I have learned that the most important things in life aren't things. Your stuff will rot and rust. It will vex you. You will change weed eater line 10 million times and you'll be frustrated with that weed eater. But when you bought it, you said, this is the end all of weed eaters. This will solve all of the problems of my life and bring me happiness. And every time I'm gritting my teeth and messing with that thing, I'm saying, why in the world did I ever buy this stupid thing? Am I speaking truth? The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, flee from those things that will ensnare your soul and keep you from being what you need to be. Authentic manhood is shown by what you flee from. You flee from world philosophy. Let me say it this way. If you, if you pursue money, you'll never be content. You pursue godliness, you pursue godliness, and you will get contentment. If you were to look back at verse 7, you can underline it in a bit. It says, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it either. John MacArthur said these words. He said, you show me a man in ministry who goes after money, and I'll show you a compromiser. I'll show you someone who can be bought. And I'll show you someone who lacks contentment and whose pursuit of money never gives him enough. I'll show you someone who will change his theology and who will fail into harmful desires and maybe ruin and destruction. What are we doing, people? Are we pursuing things that God clearly says run from? Maybe today you need to stop in your tracks, men of God, and say, you know what this Ladder that I'm climbing is propped up on the wrong building. And I need to pursue Jesus Christ. Well, that's the second thing right out of our text. 
Authentic manhood is demonstrated, it's shown, it's displayed. Godly manhood, when we see what a man flees from, but also when he knows who to follow at or what to follow after. Look at the text. It says, you, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You see, that the whole idea is this, that our life is a sprint, and we're not only running from things, but we're running toward something. We're running toward righteousness. Not success, not fame, not popularity or pleasure or esteem, not anything but righteousness. I want what God wants for my life. I, I realize it is so easy to get caught up in temporal things because we can see them, but that which is eternal is what matters, and it is unseen. And that unseen world is the greater reality. So when I speak of real men, I'm talking about men who can see an unseen world. I'm talking about men who are investing in things that will last forever. Not just today. Not just for the moment. Not just for their own pleasure. Does that make sense? This is audience participation time yet again. Does that make sense, church? You and I need to flee from unrighteousness and follow after righteousness running toward it, like a fugitive running from something and like a desperate uh, longing in our heart that drives us to run forward. It's a lifelong pursuit. Proverbs 15.9 says, The Lord loves them that pursue righteousness. Here is the goal, to run from things that corrupt us and toward things that purify us. Let me say that again. Because it's so easy to take this and say, Well, my pastor... Preach, do good. Be good. Let it sink in. In your day-to-day activities, in your social life, in your family life, in your relationships at work, are you pursuing things that corrupt? Are you pursuing things that purify? Stop trying to seek both. Because the world around you needs to see real men, real women who stand on conviction and live their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's move forward. The third one, straight out of the text. Godly manhood is displayed when a man knows what to fight for. Verse 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal to which you were called and that that you made a confession over. Folks, do you realize we're at war? Do you realize we're at war this week? I I cannot tell you the the, the horrors of the things that we dealt with just directly through our office. You say, well, you were in Bible school. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Bible? No, I'm kidding. Bible school was fun. The kids were not a, a horror. That's not the war I'm talking about. Satan is attacking marriages. We've dealt with drug addiction. We've dealt with alcoholism. We've dealt with people who are struggling with all manner of issues and problems and hurts and habits and hang-ups. I'm so grateful that this past Wednesday night we had our very first session of Celebrate Recovery. And as we did, I I just knew that in trying to attack darkness, we would begin to see a darkness attack back. And we saw it this week. We're in a war. You know, during my time of ministry and my life of ministry, I've had people tell me, Pastor, you just need to lighten up a little bit. I mean, you're pretty intense. Let me just tell you, it's hard to lighten up when you're in war. 
in a foxhole, we don't have the luxury of lightening up. One day we'll be in the presence of our king and every other kingdom will surrender to his kingdom. And when that time of eternal peace comes, I'll lighten up. But until then, I don't want to back up. I don't want to shut up. I don't want to slow up. I just want to lift up Jesus Christ. I want there to be hope for today, help for today, hope for the future, joy in our lives, an encouraging word that would help someone else come to the place of understanding that that God-sized hole that they're trying to fill with all manner of things can only be filled by Jesus. I know what to fight for. My battle is not down here. I'm not trying to fight just a political battle. And you and I may be on different sides of that aisle, but I'm telling you, I'm trying my best to fight for righteousness. I want to fight for those things that matter. I want to fight for life, for eternal life. And you and I fight for those things together. We're at war. We battle the kingdom of darkness, and it yields very, very reluctantly any ground that it gives. We face many adversaries, and if we... we, need to come to the place where we understand that the enemy of our souls hates everything that we do. Do you know that? Let me lovingly say this, as lovingly as possible. Over and over again, the imagery of wrestling and battling and boxing and fighting is there, that we are soldiers in this war. Some of you are AWOL, absent, without leave. Your feet hit the ground and you haven't shown up for duty for King Jesus. Some of you are inflicting friendly fire. You know what that is, right? We're so quick to shoot at our own. Your life is not becoming a soldier of Jesus Christ. And we need to come to this place where we understand what we are to flee from, what we are to follow after, what we are to fight for. Last thing I want you to see, who are we supposed to be faithful to? I command you before God who gives life to everyone and given you life and eternal life on top of it. I charge you in front of Jesus Christ who when he stood in front of Pontius Pilate and Pontius said, are you a king? He said, I am. He didn't bow down. He didn't cow down. He spoke the good confession. And I love the way Paul said this to Timothy. He said, you've made your confession before men, but now make it before God. Make it and stand so strong that you say, God, I want to be faithful to you and to you alone. I pledge allegiance to you. And as I pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything I do must surrender to that idea of seeking that which purifies, not that which corrupts. Does that make sense? It's a simple message. But can I tell you that real manhood, authentic manhood, is the only way to live. It's the only way to live. I have enjoyed such an incredible life as a dad, beginning to understand what our Heavenly Father would uh, go through to love us to the depth of love that He would send His Son to die for us. But to wake up with a clear conscience. I may not have the biggest house. I may not have the biggest bank accounts. I may not have the most perfect kids, but they are close. They're here. That's why I said that. But I've got a heavenly father that loves me and gave directions and marching orders for my life. And when I follow them, I find myself blessed. The Bible says we as his children are highly favored. 
It's not necessarily a material blessing, but you'll walk in the blessings of God when you walk in righteousness. And I can promise you, you will not walk in the blessings of God if you walk in darkness. Let me take you to number three, and we wrap it up. We've looked at real manhood defined and displayed. Let me just say, real manhood demanded from our culture is the need of the hour. He he says to Timothy, before God who gave him eternal life, before Jesus Christ, under the most unbelievable, unimaginable, uncomprehensible duress ever, ever given, never wandered in his adherence to the Word of God. Jesus said, I'm going to stay by the stuff. And he did so so that he could complete his mission. And because his mission is complete, you and I are brought to eternal life. Psalm 94, 16 says this, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Let me ask you, are you clear about the gospel? Are you living for an audience of one? Here's the question. I'll go back to my friend Joe McKeever, whose granddaughter Abby said, you're a man, what do you know? Let me ask you, what do you know? And what difference has it made in your life? If you know Jesus, you know to flee from immorality and greed. You know to pursue righteousness and love and faithfulness and holiness. You know to fight for what is right in a culture of darkness and against the enemy that's not flesh and blood. We're not fighting with each other. And you know who to be faithful to. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the great privilege that we've had to be in your presence this morning. And Lord, I pray that if someone today has heard these words and they know these things in their head but have not known them in their hearts, they've not lived them out experientially, I pray that today they would flee from unrighteousness, pursue Jesus Christ and be saved. And God, for those that are saved, for those that know the Lord Jesus already, I pray that they would show up for service, that they would stand up for the battle and be ready, knowing that as faithful Soldiers of the cross, we have our orders to love a lost and dying world. Help us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a hymn of response.